First of all, it was nothing like you're saying it was. We were at a house party. Haven't you been to a house party? Some kids were drinking, a couple of them were smoking pot, there was a cooler full of purple punch and grain alcohol, the floor was sticky, and everything vaguely smelled like cigarettes. A house party. Was everyone making good choices and calling their moms to check in? No, of course not. But it wasn't like anything especially scary was happening in any way. I knew maybe mm, 10 people there. The rest of them went to a different school. The vibe was kind of weird, but it always is. Girls were trying really hard and guys were acting like they didn't care. There were a few couples hooking up in darker places or on couches and bedrooms upstairs. The bathroom was always full and girls were going in two and three at a time to talk and fix their lipstick and, I don't know, maybe hold someone's hair if they had to throw up, it happens. That's why I didn't think it was too weird when I saw one girl shove another into the bathroom and close the door. I thought her friend was either drunk and acting stupid or she was just trying to mess with some guy who had a girlfriend or something. Just drama, you know. So then it gets loud and they come out real hot and the one girl is crying and looks terrified and the other is screaming to a group of guys who then start screaming, she's a fucking man. And then... All hell broke loose, and we ran. I'm not proud of that, that we ran, but we were scared, and it happened so fast. That poor girl was lying on the floor, crying and apologizing. She wasn't screaming and trying to hurt them. They were the ones trying to act tough for no reason. Nobody was hurting them. They had no reason to be scared or start swinging. I guess a couple of them had hooked up with her and they didn't know what she had downstairs or whatever. They thought it made them gay, which is some real backwoods nonsense. First of all, none of them are men, let's be real. Second, did she tell you she's a girl? Does she live her life as a girl? Yes, and she's a fucking girl, end of conversation. Why is this so difficult to grasp? If one dick makes you gay, then a lot of guys I know from camp have some explaining to do. They weren't tricked in the way they said they were. She wasn't some criminal mastermind. She didn't want to embarrass them or expose them. She just wanted some boys to like her. She wanted to wear a cute outfit and go to a party. That's what we all want. It's not new or interesting or exotic. It's a teenage girl being unbelievably normal. They hooked up with a girl who had a penis. They didn't know about the penis, then they found out about it and they fucking killed her. I'm not saying she was right to hide it from them, but please, Tell me how all of that adds up. Please, please feel free to explain it. Oh no, you can't. That's like seeing someone who wears contact lenses with their glasses on and then gouging their eyes out. Nobody deserves to die just for being who they are. All the news reports after the fact called her a woman. Three men kill a woman and bury her in a shallow grave is what most of them reported. But that's not totally right, is it? She wasn't a woman, she was just a girl. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead.
makes me so mad. Oh, I'm angry. Oh, God. You riled I, me up. You're only going to get more angry. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Can't wait for my fun facts. <laughs> We're going to need your fun facts real bad this week. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, fiends. Um, first of all, I'm going to apologize because I'm kind of hoarse and husky today. I like it. I was at the water park, so I sound like this. <laughs> Chlorine and shouting. Yes. I give off that <laughs> don't run mom energy. That's me. <laughs> well, that's good. First of all, happy Pride Month to all of our fiends who celebrate out there in the world. I know it's been a crazy busy these past six weeks, but um, or we've been at least. Maybe you guys have been like, not at all. I'm just chilling. We've been very busy. So busy. <laughs> but we just wanted to take this moment to tell you that we love you and support you. And in honor of this week's case, We Would Be Dead will be making a donation to the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, a charity named in honor of the legendary trans hero, activist, and Stonewall veteran Sylvia Rivera. The Sylvia Rivera Law Project provides legal aid to low-income individuals and people of color who are transgender, intersex, or gender nonconforming. If you would like to make a donation as well, there will be a link to the site in the show notes, as well as information on all of our social media platforms. Every little bit counts. And speaking of every little bit counting, mm. <laughs> if you would like to do a little bit that goes a really, really long way to help We Would Be Dead move forward, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. We would love the opportunity to give back to our community more as we move forward. And the more members we have, the easier it becomes to do just that. And if you want even more We Would Be Dead in your life, you can support us on Patreon. For just a few dollars a month, you can access extra minisodes, our patrons-only podcast, 30-minute horror movies. We're going to decide on that movie tonight. I feel it coming. <laughs> Discounts at our merch star and store and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And we have a, a minisode on Ed Kemper. We do. That out. should come out soon. Uh, yeah, I think in the next few days you guys will get... Um, some a little bit of extra Kemper material because there's so much of it to go around. And we had a lot to say. Yeah, especially about the chicken of tomorrow. Holy shit, we talked about the chicken of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so look for that, patrons. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply share anything on our social media feed to your own. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell that lifeguard at the community pool. Then your friends and that disinterested teen you know with a whistle can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Lovely. So nice. And if you missed our live show last week, never fear, we have plans in the works for more of those coming to a theater or a bar or a brewery or a backyard near you. <laughs> we'll perform anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> we like you guys and we want to come hang out. And if there's a venue near you that you like want us to be at, let us know. Yeah. We can't travel everywhere, but, like, we like to go places. Yeah. I'd like to get out of town. I would love to get out of town. Mm -hmm. I promise we're coming for you, California. <laughs> and lastly, um, next week, we just discussed this, but by incredibly popular demand, we're going to cover the terrifying conservatorship of Britney Spears. I know Leslie's real excited. Very. That's her girl. Oh, this is sweet, sweet girl. Oh, God. I'm so sad for her right now. I know. I listened to that whole thing today. I listened to her whole statement, and it mm -hmm. broke my heart. This is a super hot topic. It's not a murder, but it sure as shit should be a crime. And there is much to be said on the media gaslighting women who are young and successful. So look forward to getting real deep with us next week. Oh, and I am 100% sure that Leslie is going to sing. Hmm. I might. 
I just might. When we talk about Britney Spears? No, I don't know. You think you're not going to? You want to sing right now. You're fighting it. Um, (laughs) My finger's going up to my ear. I can see you at war with yourself. (laughs) I have so much to talk about. Yeah, next week's going (laughs) to. Can't wait for my pop culture. Yeah, it's all just, it gets to just be Britney centric, and that's the point. It's the best. I know. We should dress up for that one. We have been asked to do it live. Oh. I don't know that that's going to happen or what the deal is, but be like. too emotional. I'd be so emotional. But someone wanted, someone and then a couple people egged them on, wanted us to do it live. Mm. So, I mean, I'm not going to make any promises, but maybe we'll video that so you can see our faces getting yeah. like real angry. <laughs> All right, Leslie, is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, not this week. No? No. Next week for Britney week, maybe? Maybe. I can't promise, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. On with the show. We could not let June go by without honoring Pride Month in our own little way. So this week, we will be covering a landmark case in the fight against the gay and trans panic defense— a disgusting and dated practice that the court systems in 34 states still consider both legal and valid. Thankfully, our home state of New Jersey has outlawed the use of said defense. Yep. Pretty proud of us. But after this episode, I urge you to look into the laws where you live. There are petitions against the gay and trans panic defense in every state where it is still legal. Pretty sure at least it's everyone. I mean, I'm sure you'll get to that later. There are a lot of petitions. And if you should need help finding yours... Do not hesitate to reach out. I will happily find you a link if it is out there. I will also provide a link in the show notes to a site that will guide you to your state and federal officials so that you may email at will. Later on in this episode, Leslie will explain what this horrible tactic is and how it has been used over the years to explain away countless acts of violence. Gave you a very frustrating activity this week. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Today we're talking about the case that ended California's usage of the gay and trans panic defense, the horrifying murder of Gwen Amber Rose Araujo. It's hard for me to start this case because a lot of coverage of Gwen will begin her story by telling you who she, quote, was before she was Gwen. And maybe a few years ago, that's how I would have also thought to do it. But now, having listened to the stories of a lot of my trans friends and acquaintances, with the intention of learning as much as I could, I don't think that's right. Gwen was always Gwen. She happened to be born with male anatomy, and therefore her parents assumed she was a boy, which is okay. We usually make our best guesses for our children. The trick is to listen whenever they correct us. Gwen's mother listened, and she was and is a remarkable woman, which makes this tragedy even more difficult to bear. Gwen Amber Rose was born on February 24th, 1985, to parents Sylvia Guerrero and Edward Araujo Sr. Leslie, do you want to tell us a little bit about 1985 to get us in the right frame of mind? I would love to. Good, because as 80s babies, I bet we have a lot in common with Gwen. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Okay, so uh, let's see. It was a great year of music and movies. <gasps> tell us. The top Billboard songs include Like a Virgin by Madonna. Excellent. I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. So good. <laughs> Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Take on Me. Aha. 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 Part Time Lover. These are so good. <laughs> by Stevie Wonder. This is like and a playlist I could just have. My favorite. I can't fight this feeling any longer. 
by Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> that was Leslie's walk down the aisle song. It's so perfect. She walked down the aisle to Can't Fight This Feeling. It was an amazing moment. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think she would do it, and she did, and it was fucking great. It was a beautiful piano rendition. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered. I was sitting there going, how many people know what's happening right yeah. now? Is it all of them or just some of them? I imagined us doing it to the actual song. And <laughs> um, and I wanted there was enough people in the pews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't in pews; they were just in chairs. But in the chairs there that were like, I was gonna say audience. That's why I was like stumbling. Yeah, in the audience of my wedding, it was an audience. Yeah, that can sing. And I was hoping that there would be as I was going down the aisle, we would all sing like the song I would have together. sung the song I with know, you. But then I was like, well, it's gonna be. There isn't gonna. The vocals won't be there. It'll just be the piano. It's fine. It was beautiful. It was and great. it was a fun secret because I yeah. don't think some of your family members no. have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. Um, okay, so top movies include Back to the Future. Amazing. Rambo First Blood Part 2. I mean, who doesn't love Rambo First Blood Part 2? I don't know. <laughs> Rocky 4. Man, the 80s was a time of sequels. You know. The Color Purple. And the Goonies. Oh, Goonies. Yeah. I love the Goonies. I know, me too. Top TV shows include The Cosby Show, Family Ties. Problematic. (laughs) Sorry, it was great then. It was great then. (laughs) Uh, Family Ties, which I loved. Still love that show. Oh, yeah. Murder, She Wrote, 60 Minutes, Dallas, Cheers, Dynasty, and Who's the Boss? All these shows. And according to Harper's Bazaar... Fashion in the 1980s were a decade of bold style, colors, and silhouettes. Yeah, they were. heaping amounts of permed hair. With trends spanning ripped tights and biker jackets, polished oversized blazers and poof skirts, and style icons ranging from Joan Jett to Joan Collins. It was one of the most (laughs) eclectic decades in fashion. What a time to be a Joan. We need that on a shirt. I know. 1985, what a time to be a Joan. (laughs) Now, some tidbits I found interesting. Give them to me. Robert Downey Jr. was a cast member on SNL for a full year in 1985. Yes, I love that. And I I knew that, but not a lot of people do. I know, exactly. Um, The movie Clue in 1985, which we know now from just having the movie on hand, they had three different endings. Yes. But when it was released to theaters, they randomly what? threw out the ending. So some people had different endings. Oh, my God. You just blew my mind. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, talking to your friends and be like, that's not how that fucking that's, movie ended? Yeah. And, like, fighting. <laughs> like, getting angry. I would get angry with somebody. This no is how I. it ended. <laughs> no. I saw that movie. You are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> There's no internet to find it on. No. It's what a fucking stunt. I know. They probably didn't realize till like the 90s when they all got it all like, like, on VHS. Oh, and they're like, oh, God. Unless they like advertised that that was a thing. Maybe. Because if they did, I would probably go see it like more than one time. Yeah. I would try to find the place where the they were playing the other theaters, version. Yeah. Hmm. It's like Good on you, Clue. Yeah, wow. So in 1985, Aretha Franklin's voice was legally declared as one of Michigan's natural resources. I did not see where that was going. Yep. Yeah. Nope, me either. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, she insured it, like Tina Turner insured her legs. She's a natural resource of Michigan. So she's like a— Just the voice, though. Like a waterfall or a— Oh, don't go chasing Aretha Franklin. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, nobody chased Aretha Franklin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo. The uh, benefit concert, Live Aid, was held on Saturday, July 13th, 1985. Great. Ferris Bueller's actual day off would be June 5th, 1985, which was pinpointed by the data from the Braves and Cubs game he attended. I did not know there was a day for his day off, June yeah, 5th. June 5th. Why don't we celebrate that? I, maybe we do. Maybe people do. There should be a parade. Maybe that'll be our meme this week, and that's what gets, like, trending. And people will share it for, like, a lifetime to come. Oh, that'd be great. There should be a parade on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Maybe they do. Like, there was a parade in the movie. Yeah. And they should sing Twist and Shout, and it would be so fun. I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, obviously. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then they also found the Titanic in 1985. Oh, shit! Yeah. That thing was kicking around for a long time before they found it. They did, yeah. They finally had enough. I don't. I think they were able to get the cameras to go down low enough, and then they saw fragments. Oh wow! And they were able to get closer and closer, and then they finally found where the ship was, which was in several different places. But yeah, it was somewhere by like the Netherlands. I want to see that exhibit where there's like all the pieces of it. Yeah, I would totally see that. That would be cool. Let's do that. Okay, patron okay. trip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that is, but there is, like, an exhibit where you can – there's, like, reconstructed portions, and then there's all, like, the stuff they found, all the artifacts from, like, rooms and, like – I don't know. I just like old shit. Mm -hmm. There's also – so I forgot to look this up, but I know – I would assume because the Goonies came out this year, um, because speaking of Ferris Bueller having, like, a day. Yeah. I know one of the countries where Goonies was filmed and then released, like, on that day Mm – which would have been in 1985, that town or country, like, they celebrate a Goonies Day. The Goonies have a holiday? Yeah. Oh, we have to find out when that is, too. Yeah. Guys, we're celebrating all the 80s movies day. Is there also a Back to the Future Day? We will celebrate that. I think there is. And Back to the Future is a musical now, and I can't wait. What if they already celebrated it? Like, what if it's in the past? Oh, no. What if you can only celebrate it in 1985? Oh, no. <laughs> I'll be so sad. I know. Okay. Well, that's all my stuff for Those 1985. Those are good. 1985 <laughs> gives me flashback feels. So that was 1985. It was really fun. I like everything from it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Gwen was born in Brawley, California, which is located in the Colorado Desert and Lower Colorado River Valley regions of California. It's 13 miles north of El Centro, about 70 miles west of Yuma, Arizona, 95 miles southeast of Palm Springs, and 130 miles east of San Diego, which means nothing to me because I still haven't learned California's geography, and I have no sense of distance or direction, so really, in my mind, it could be on the moon. I took a nap. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) But to some people, all of that made good sense and is very relevant. (laughs) If you're one of those, you're welcome. According to the United States Census Bureau, Brawley has a total area of 7.7 square miles and is home to about 25,000 people, which isn't quite a city, but still is not quite a small town. According to the internet, Brawley is a great place to live. It has a low crime rate, little to no traffic, which apparently is a very big deal in California, and just 30 miles um, from Mexico, so you can have a little holiday. Nice. Good time. It's bland. There's no weird outlier information or funny history. There is no political unrest or urban legends. It's just a typical American town. 
It's one of those towns where the Wikipedia has no, like, guess what on it. It's right. just like, here's how many people, and we're done. Okay. When Gwen was born, her parents called her Edward Araujo Jr., Eddie for short. And she spent the first 14 years of her life as such, but we are never going to call her that. This information is only pertinent as it comes back up again later in her court case. So it's important you know her name because the fucking prosecutor uses it later on. So that's why I'm telling you. There are a ton of news articles as well that misgender Gwen, but even in the past tense, I am not comfortable doing so. I know it hurts her mother to read those things as she's talked about that a lot. And so I'm going to do my best, even in stories about her past, not to mess up any of her pronouns. I will only use boy words when it is absolutely necessary for storytelling purposes. So I just need you guys to know that. If I mess up, I'm so sorry. I am only human, but I have no intention of doing so. Okay. And Leslie will listen and catch me. And if she doesn't, like, you can feel free to catch me, but also know that I'm trying my best. (laughs) When Gwen was just 10 months old, her parents divorced. Her mother, Sylvia, gained primary custody of both Gwen and her older sister, Pearl. What a cute name, right, Pearl? Yeah. And after that time, Edward Sr. was no longer a presence in Gwen's life. So they got divorced and he was like, see ya. Just like checked out. Okay. Cool dad. Yeah. It's a cool dad. Sylvia eventually moved from Brawley to Newark, California, where she raised her girls on her own. She said she always knew her then son was different from other boys. Gwen played Little League and got good grades, but she never seemed comfortable in her own skin. Sylvia recalls that she always liked things that are traditionally considered more feminine and was more at ease with girls. In a speech that she gave at the University of North Carolina, Sylvia recalls that it was easy to tell from a very young age that Gwen identified as a female. She said that most toddlers go through a modest phase. Mine were and still are nudists, but I've been told that this is common. (laughs) When Gwen would get out of the bath, she would cover her nipples like a woman might hide her breasts rather than cover her penis like a boy might. My boy never one time covered his penis. Right. Never one time. Still doesn't. You come in my house, you might see it. You don't know. Okay. (laughs) Oh, well, that's true. I'm, yeah, you've been here. <laughs> anyway, Gwen saw her body as female. That's the point here. She also had a keen interest in makeup and liked to doll her sister up in flashy outfits and perfectly appointed face. So she would like give her makeovers, which, mm-hmm. man, I wish I had that sibling. I know. It was like, let me make you gorgeous. <laughs> yes, please do that. <laughs> now, I also know I have a lot of qualifiers in this episode. Damn well, the tons of boys like makeup. Straight boys, gay boys, pan boys, bi boys, trans boys, all the kinds of boys out there. And I'm not saying they don't, can't, or shouldn't. The best makeup artists I know are boys. I'm saying that in that time and place, it was seen as a feminine trait. And also, there's a lot of girls that don't like makeup at all, and I was one of them. There's plenty of girls and women that do not like makeup, do not want to wear makeup, Mm -hmm. are not very good at makeup. There's all spectrum of everything everywhere. Yeah. But at that little point in time, in that place, with those particular people, it was seen as a feminine trait. Right. Truly, I hate that I have to overly qualify and justify every single thing I say, but the last thing in the world I want to do is hurt someone with a misunderstanding while reporting opinions that were a product of their time. Mm-hmm. And so here we are. Moving forward. By 14, Gwen decided to come out to her mother. Now, statistically, that is still pretty young, so good for her. She expressed that she was attracted to boys and felt like a girl trapped in a boy's body. She asked to be called Gwen from that point forward after her favorite singer, 
Gwen Stefani. Yes, girl. Listen, I get it. I also wanted to be Gwen Stefani in 1999 <laughs> and today and tomorrow. Not as much today. I'm good now. But in 1999, you betcha. Yeah. Whew. She was so cool. Sylvia loved her child and simply accepted her in that moment and for the rest of her life. Never one time did she question it. She was like, okay, that's who you are. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I don't usually do a mid-episode toast, but let us momentarily raise a glass to Sylvia right now. We don't have to clink. Just raise your glass wherever you are. Admittedly, this is just how a parent should behave. It doesn't deserve a party. It's just the right thing to do. But this is a true crime podcast, and the sad fact of the matter is that most of the time, we talk about parents who are wholly awful to Mm -hmm. their children, especially trans kids. So to not have that moment in today's episode is pretty nice. Right. We don't have to be like, her parents were garbage. After Gwen came out to her mother, she began to experiment with how she presented herself publicly. She began using her new name in smaller circles and within the confines of her all-girl group of friends, like anything went. They, the girls that were her friends were willing to accept and love everything about her. But in school, life was very different. And when she began her freshman year at Newark High School, people began to take notice of Gwen's differences. Being noticed as a teenager, not usually good. Most teens would gladly assume the form of a piece of furniture or blend right into a sheet of wallpaper. You have teens. I do. Do they want to be noticed? No. Not very often, right? Nope. Nope. (laughs) Kids began taunting Gwen for the way she carried herself and her high-pitched speaking voice. Now, remember, at this point, she's still presenting as Eddie at school most of the time. By her sophomore year, the taunting had turned into full-scale bullying. Now, by this point, Gwen had grown out her hair and began to wear makeup and some women's clothing. And though Gwen was tough and would not hesitate to fight back if she had to, the constant bullying was taking its toll on her. By her junior year, this was the situation was just too much for her to handle. And so she dropped out of Newark Public High School and began attending an alternative high school where she was also relentlessly bullied. She did not return to school at all for the 2002-2003 school year, which would have been her senior year. Oh. I know. So she, she homeschooled? Did she finish? Just didn't okay. go to school anymore. Well, she only lived through I know, but. October, but yeah. No, she just um, told her mom, well, here we go. She was just like, I'm going to work. I'm just, I don't need school. I need to, like, live my life. So now it's 2002, and Gwen is a 17-year-old girl looking to embark on life as an adult. She told her mother that, Now that she was away from school, she wanted to start living full-time as a girl. She wanted to get a job and begin the process of hormone replacement therapy, which she hoped would eventually lead to gender-affirming surgery. So she wanted the full gamut. She wanted all of it. I know not everybody does. It's pick and choose, whatever Mm -hmm. you feel comfortable with. But what she wanted was everything available. So now that we're in 2002, I know this is quick, but Leslie, why don't you take us All the way back there. All the way back to 2002. Tell us what kind of world Gwen was walking into when she walked away from school and decided she was going to be an an adult. All right. Well. Yes. (laughs) The top movies were The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I like how we could probably (laughs) angle this podcast to just be you obsessed with The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You're not, but I I'm not, but it it. seems like it, right? (laughs) I know. Star Wars, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Mm. This is a really good nerdy year. Oh, nice. For sure. Spider-Man with Topher Grace. That was a good one. Yep. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. 
also a good one. And my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, yeah. okay. Good year for movies. Yeah. It was a good year for nerds. Mm-hmm. That one I put in because I feel like that was so long ago that that helps me. It was. It, it feels mm-hmm. like a new movie, but also a movie from so long ago. It's a good cultural so touchstone. Yeah. TV shows that premiered that should be remembered were Crane Gangers. Okay, that was, they were puppets, right? Yeah. Okay. That did the phone calls. The phone calls. The Osbournes. Oh my god! That came out that year. Remember, I watched that show. I know. And now I'm a little bit ashamed of myself for it. Yeah, but I did like it. I liked that. MTV Made. Oh, that was like you're gonna be something, or I think so. I meant to look that up. I'm sorry, but I just remember I watched it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I like True Life better. I yeah. Oh man, oh, True, True Life, Life was good. so good. <laughs> Oh. I would still watch the shit out of some True Life. Oh, my God. I'm just having so many flashbacks of episodes. Wow. I watched a lot of True Life. I would go. That's why you're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I would wow. go back and watch that again. I would watch, like, all of them again. They were crazy. <sighs> yes. Wow. Okay. And the Anna Nicole show. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a thing. <laughs> Remember when she was just, like, eating pickles and wearing pink yes. all the time? Yeah. She loved a pickle. And I, we watched every episode. We sure did watch it. Poor Larry, her boyfriend. Oof. He's still trucking along, doing his thing. I know. With his with their daughter. Man alive. <laughs> wow, you just took me way back. I know. <laughs> all right, so fashion was all over the place at yes, this point. Yeah, I do remember um, that too. There is in every so when I was looking up 2002 fashion, every article was like, This is this will go down in history as the worst year for fashion. Like Not it was great. it everything was horrible. Um, you could literally do whatever you wanted. It was a year to just go for it. The dirtier, the better. Oh, God. Um, this was also the year Christina Aguilera came out with her song, Dirty. So, oh, like, just shit. imagine that and be like, we were kind of supposed to want to look like that. Yeah, covered in, like, she motor was just greasy and, like, ridiculous dreadlocks. Yeah, she was just somehow... Wet. It was grease. It was like <laughs> oil. Grease. And I've never seen lower cut pants in my life. No. So triangle bikinis were in, wearing scarves as tops. I did that in college. I know a lot of people did. I was in college. I did that. Yeah. Uh, low rise jeans. The lowest. Yep. Uggs could be worn whenever or wherever. And that's probably like in certain areas. Yeah, we too. Um, that was definitely like a New England. You could like wear them. Whenever you wanted to, wherever. Dresses over jeans were cool. Uh, Flip-flop platforms. Had those too. Uh, Frosted tips for the guys because of uh, Justin Timberlake. I was going to say, that's NSYNC's fault. Yep. (laughs) Um, Hot Topic emo and Avril Lavigne skater boy styles were big. Oh, no. She was just like all over. She was like, I I wanted to be her so bad. (laughs) I don't blame you. I still do. I'm like, can I rock that now? You can wear a tie. All the time. No one's going to argue with you. I just I just want, like, gloves on my hands yes. and ties and, yep, uh, and popped collars also. A lot of popped collars. Um, basically, the way Britney Spears dresses in her Instagram videos now is how we all wished and wanted to dress in 2002. Oh, Britney. I know. I love her. We're going to talk like, about her she's going. so much. Yeah, but she was a huge fashion Icon then, uh, Christina her? Aguilera. Oh, my God. Britney's abs. Like, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. She came out at the MTV VMAs, I think it was, with that snake on. Oh. I was like, I'll never have a body like that in my life. 
I watched Christ. a snake on screen. <laughs> I was going to say, you could probably even handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spaghetti straps were big. That was just like normal. You could just wear spaghetti yeah. straps anywhere to like work. Live in your life in spaghetti straps. Yeah, just all the time. And um, velour like jumpsuits and stuff were big too. Nice. Yeah. What a time for I know. fashion. So other little tidbits that I found interesting of the time. Halle Berry was the first black actress to win an Academy Award for Best Actress. That was that, that year. Ben Affleck was People's Sexiest Man Alive. Bought like 12 of those copies. Oh, Ben uh, Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> You've been having a rough go of it recently, friend. I know. Friend. I know. Uh, Justin and Brittany broke up. Well, which was probably for the best. Yeah. Um, every car made after 2002 has an emergency release cable inside the trunk in case of kidnapping. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And Holly. Yes. I have one name that tune for you. Oh my God. Give it to me. <laughs> and this time it's a song from a Broadway musical. Oh, I, what if I don't know it, I have to jump off the roof. This musical opened on Broadway on August 15th, 2002. Oh. I'm going to start in the middle of my favorite part. All right, live your life. this is my favorite musical. Just, just go with it. <laughs> Which might already tell you what it is. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think I know your favorite musical. Round one, he'll ask me on a date. And then round two, oh, I'll primp a won't be late. Because round three's <laughs> when we kiss inside his car. Won't go all the way, but I'll go pretty far. <laughs> Leslie loved singing Hairspray at karaoke. It was her favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite. So that was that. That was that was 2002. <laughs> 2002 is a good. Woof. Yeah, it was a very confusing time. So confusing. It was everywhere. Oh, that like Kate plus eight haircut was acceptable too, which was like spiky in the back yeah. and like hair curtains in the front. I did. Um, I went with Jennifer Aniston's hair. I always followed her haircut. That's smart though. Yeah. You still can't go wrong. You're still good with Jennifer Aniston's hair. She is who I always look at. And I always wanted Britney's hair, but then I learned recently because I finally got— None of her hair is real. Well, that's what I I realized. The one where it's like all straight and long and she has like a ton of— She had keratin extensions in, the the blonde ones. 100%. Yeah, she had extensions. I didn't realize that, and I kept wanting that hair. I was like, I just need more like layers. And my hairstylist friend was luckily so great, and she was like, no, no, no. No, no, no. She had That's all the micro. Do it. They were like micro bonded extensions. Yeah. So you could barely see them, but she had like thousands of them. Yeah. So for my wedding, when I got hair extensions put in, my hair was very straight. Did you straight. have extensions put I in? I did, yeah. I thought you didn't. I was like, that's all Leslie's hair. She's a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were so well matched to they me. They were beautiful. Yeah, it was great. But so when I first got them, they were like pin straight. And so my hair was pin straight when she put them in the first time before she curled. I did. I was like, (gasps) and now it's all I ever want to do. I just want constant extensions in my hair. I love extensions. Yeah. Oh my God. I need to learn how to put them in myself because I would wear them all the time. You should wear them all the time. And just be like, yes. They looked amazing. You were a mermaid. baby. (laughs) So that's 2002. Boy, we lived in that one for a while. Sorry, let's get back to this sad story. I know. So thankfully, after Gwen told her mother that she was going to leave school because of all the bullying issues she had and just try and find a job and find her way in the world, her mother, Sylvia, was still very supportive. She hated to watch her child suffer. She really didn't know what else to do at this point. Two schools in a row didn't work out, and her child was miserable. She said, all right, then. You can always get your GED. Let's walk away. 
Gwen looked for jobs, but the same attitudes she encountered in high school seemed to be present in the workforce, and no one would hire her. Sylvia is certain that Gwen couldn't get a job because she was in the process of transitioning, and this broke her heart. Several sources I read called it Gwen's gentle transition because it was slow. Okay. She didn't just, like, one day show up looking one way and the next another. Her transition was very gradual. Hmm. Um, But, yeah, apparently people did not like it. It was around this time that Gwen began spending a lot of time with a group of boys. Now, she occasionally went by the name Lita and very occasionally Wendy. But these boys, Michael Magidison, which, like, guys – I looked for news articles where people spoke, like videos, and this case is so famous, and they're just not around anymore. So if I pronounce anybody's name wrong, I'm sorry to anyone else in the world of offends, but not to them because they are fucking garbage. So I will pronounce all their names wrong and not care. Jose Morel, Jaron Neighbors, and Jason Cazares. They all knew her as Lita. Now, this group met up in late of August 2002. So they smoked pot together and flirted. And that night when they all first met, Gwen was the first to go home. And as she walked away, Jaron asked, um, could this be a dude? His words, verbatim, in like 16 sources, not mine. But thought no more of it and moved on. Lita would go on to spend a lot of time with these boys. And by now, Gwen had transformed into a beautiful woman, the woman she had always seen in the mirror. She had dark hair with purplish-red streaks, Perfectly sculpted 90s brows. They were on point. or, or on Early fleek? 2000s. Maybe. <laughs> were they on fleek yet? Early 2000s eyebrows were like thin and very sculpted, and hers were so good. I would have been very jealous. Um, and she wore flawless makeup. Her makeup always looked amazing. Mm. Now, these boys were not hanging out with her as pals. They liked her, and it was obvious. This was new territory for Gwen, though. These boys believed she was a girl, and they were attracted to her. And they wanted to touch her and kiss her, and none of them were making fun of her. And this is not the world she lived in in her high schools, obviously. Like, no one honored her preferred pronouns or her gender. Like, they just—it was terrible. So Gwen did fool around with a couple of these these guys. She apparently engaged in oral sex with Michael and anal sex with Jose. And she was afraid of revealing the truth about her anatomy to these boys, and rightfully so— And so when they tried to touch her or have any kind of intercourse that they thought might be possible with her, she would shrug off telling them that she had her period. Mm. They did not ask any further questions, though. They were like, okay, fine. (laughs) Well, that's that age. Yeah, yeah. Because, and by the way, these boys are older, too. They're uh, 19, like 21 and 22. Okay. And... This is a 17-year-old girl, so there's legality issues there, too, that nobody ever brings up, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, like, I dare you to find a heterosexual boy of that age that's going to be like, but you're giving me a blowjob. It's fine. Right. So that's what we're facing right now. And anytime they tried to touch her between her legs, she would just push her hands away. But, again, she wouldn't balk at doing things to them, so they didn't care. Yeah, they were like, oh, good. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do any work. (laughs) I'm not going to argue. This is, like, ideal. We are yeah. now, in a, now in a dream situation. They're cool guys. These guys are so cool. <laughs> so now we meet a woman named Nicole Brown. Not, like, the O.J. Simpson Nicole Brown. Okay, different, different Nicole. Yeah, who was dating Paul Morell, which is Jose's older brother. And she also hung out with Gwen and these, this group of boys frequently. And she claimed that she and Gwen did not get along. 
And she suspected that Gwen, quote, was a guy from the beginning. So I think she knew a little bit about her history. Like, she had reasons to be suspicious. And she fucking never shuts up. One night, with this fact in mind, when they were all hanging out, Nicole challenges Gwen to strip for the boys. What a bitch. But Nicole, of course, didn't want to. And my next thing is, what a bitchy move. You got it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Nicole hated that someone she suspected to be a boy could garner so much male attention. It, like, drove her crazy that the boys liked her. Of course. And she wanted her to suffer because of it. She wanted to reveal Gwen and humiliate her in the worst way. This girl makes me so mad, I cannot even tell you. She is the ultimate reason Gwen is dead and faced absolutely no consequences whatsoever. I hope she has not known a moment's peace since the night of Gwen's murder. I hope she is tortured every single night of her life by the consequences of her actions. I fucking hate this girl. Ooh. You can't incite violence like this and then just like moonwalk away and get totally get away with it. But she did. Wait, it gets worse. You're going to be so mad. Okay, because I'm like, I don't know what's what's happening yet. <laughs> okay, we're getting there. Nicole didn't stop at this. So they have like a fist fight after this, like, hey, strip for the boys. And mm-hmm. Gwen's like, no. And then Nicole like really tries to make her do it, and they end up full out fist fighting. Okay. So during the fight, Gwen surprises Nicole by like fucking hitting hard. Right. And Nicole said to the boys, Nicole said, quote, the boys were tripping because she was smaller than me and just as strong. She fought like a guy. Okay. Fuck off. If you've seen, there will be pictures of Gwen. She's not, she's like a tiny little delicate thing. There's no way she could hit harder because of her frame. She was not like a big person in any way, shape, or form. After this incident in late September, the boys once again debated as to whether Gwen was a female or not, concluding that, quote, Something bad could happen to her if she was not a girl. Could or would? And who's doing this to her? You're certainly not concerned for her. So this statement is very, like, weird and vague to me, and it's included everywhere. Something bad could happen to her if she's lying about her gender. Oh, okay. Right. Or are you saying you're going to do something? Yeah, that sounds like a taunt. It's supposed to be a threat, but it's like this weird, vague threat that I'm always like, okay. So on the night of October 3rd, 2002, Gwen attended a party at a house rented by Jose and Paul Morel. So obviously these boys, both of the brothers were there, and their younger brother, Emmanuel, was also there. So were Michael Magidison, Jaron Neighbors, Jason Cazares, and Nicole Brown. Jaron later testified that Jose said that night, quote, I swear if it's a fucking man, I'm going to kill him. If it's a man, she ain't going to leave. When someone threatens to murder a trans woman, I need you to take them seriously every time. Mm -hmm. Every time. Too many of them are dead. You can't just be like, ah, he's just saying that. Like, that guy's going to murder somebody. Yeah. 100%. So according to Jaron, Michael also added, quote, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Jaron replied with the ever so sensitive, quote, whatever you do, make sure it doesn't make a mess. The fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. After this, Nicole reported that the four boys, Jose, Michael, Jaron, and Jason, went to a club and did not come back to the house party until after midnight. Now, I'm not a Newark, California detective, or Newark, however they pronounce it in California. In New Jersey, it's Newark, sorry. But I can surmise that these motherfuckers were already pretty drunk at this point if they had been to a club and back to a house party. 
In the and early probably morning, probably pre-gamed before. That's what I'm thinking. They were at the house party drinking, then they went to the club drinking, and then they came back to drink more. I do not think they were sober. This is no excuse for their behavior, but it just should be noted. Mm-hmm. In the early morning hours of October 4th, Michael asked Gwen to show him her genitals or let him touch them. Casual. A casual request. Okay. They rolled back up to this party and were like, hey, show me your vagina or let me touch it. Okay. No! And she refused, of course, but Nicole, who is always there to make things worse, then suggests that one of the boys should inspect Gwen by force. She's like, you should make her show you. You should hold her down and make her show you. This is all wrong. Also a crime already. It's already a crime. You can't do that. So Michael told Gwen to go into the bathroom. Now, the next half hour after that is very blurry, but I do know that Michael did not expect her. And then Jaron went into the bathroom to take on the task himself, but instead he just had sex with her. The f- Oh, my God. I hate them so much. I hate them so much. They are garbage. (sighs) So Nicole had had enough of all of this sexy tomfoolery and pushed Gwen into the bathroom and locked the door behind them so she could find out for herself. Earlier that night, Gwen had been so excited to go to this party. Having a group of people who treated her like a beautiful girl made her heart sing. She decided that she would borrow her mother's floaty peasant blouse and walk out the door for the very first time in a skirt. Mm. So this is like the first time. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to go out like in a dress or a skirt for the first time. She was beaming. And she should have been. She truly was beautiful. But now we're back to the bathroom. And this very skirt that gave her like the identity she wanted – ended up to be part of her downfall because Nicole forced up the skirt and revealed her genitals. And then Nicole ran out of the bathroom, proudly proclaiming, it's a fucking man. (sighs) I want this woman rotting in a jail cell. Yeah. She didn't even go to court. She testified at some point with the cops, but like she, she faced nothing. Nothing happened to her. I hate that nothing happened to her. She started this and then kept it going. She kept up. They would have ignored it. They tried to ignore it at every turn. They didn't want to know this. Right. I mean, they're they're total trash. But, like, they didn't get to this conclusion by themselves. They didn't arrive there without help. Right. And she was there every fucking time to be like, no, look. No, look. Go look for it. After this, Nicole looked at Gwen and told her that the boys were all going to be super mad and she should leave. Which is how she describes what she said, but I'm sure it was a lot cuntier. Like, they're all going to fucking hate you now. You better run. Like, there's, there's no way she didn't say something like that. Right. Jose and Michael were immediately enraged and violent. And as soon as Gwen got to the front door, because she was trying to, to leave, she was immediately met by Michael, Jose, Jason, and Jaron and pushed back inside. Emmanuel Morel testified that he also tried to get Gwen out of the house. So this is the little brother. He also tried to get Gwen out of the front door, but... Michael and Jaron cut him off. After he learned that Gwen had a penis, Jose vomited and then began to cry in disbelief, saying, quote, I can't be fucking gay. Um, what? Oh, my gosh. You're not, you fucking simpleton. Nicole later testified that she tried to comfort Jose after this discovery, saying, quote, It's not your fault. I went to high school with you, and you were on the football team. Any woman that knows you after this... It's not going to matter. Just let her go. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They sound so stupid. I know. You're a real fucking saint, Nicole. Also, um, like, this week, the first uh, openly gay NFL player came out. So mm-hmm. footballs do not equal straight. Yeah. Sorry. Also, I know plenty of gay men who love football and straight men who cannot be bothered with it. Sports are not a sexual barometer. For sure. I want that on a shirt. Sports are not a sexual barometer. 
After Gwen was brought back into the house, Michael grabbed at her skirt and underwear in an attempt to expose her genitals. He then proceeded to punch her in the face, knocking her to the ground, and then put her in a chokehold. But he was pulled off by another partygoer. Because they're all still there. The party is still full of people. Oh, my God. Gwen begged the men to stop, saying, no, please don't. I have a family. Jose became angry and hit her in the head with a can of soup so hard that he dented the can and caused a large gash in her forehead. I don't give a fuck about the can. That detail is everywhere. I don't care. Then he struck her again with a frying pan. Remember, still people there. There's still people at the party. House is still full of people watching this. Oh, my God. Nobody called the cops. Nobody reported this. Not one time. The last words Jose reported to hear Gwen say were, I told you I was sorry. Oh, yep. that breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. At some point after that, Nicole woke up her boyfriend, Paul Morell, who's like the oldest brother in this family, who I guess was able to sleep through violent insanity, and they left the house with little brother Emmanuel. Emmanuel later testified he walked to a convenience store to buy gum and then went to a friend's house to spend the night. So all we have on this brother is that he is younger. He might be a kid. If he's a kid buying gum and going to your friend's house— when you're scared, is not nearly as bad. Right. So right. I'm going to afford him that convenience right now in the storytelling. Jaron and Jason left in Michael's truck to go get shovels and a pickaxe from Jason's house. So nothing good was going to happen. And they were saying as they left the party house that the other men were going to kill that bitch. Again, believe people when they say they're going to commit a homicide. Nicole, suddenly innocent, Recall that after she left with Paul, they drove back around the block and returned to the house, and they did see Jason and Jaron leaving in Michael's truck. So now she's going to be helpful. I want to throw her out a window. When Jaron and Jason returned to the party house, Gwen was conscious but not critically unwell. She was not doing well. She was bleeding from her head wound and sitting on the couch. Now, it is unclear whether she was being restrained and not allowed to leave or whether she just simply couldn't. Right. Jose suddenly got worried that Gwen was bleeding on the couch and told her she had to get off the couch. I hate them. I hate them so much. Then, at some point, the assault resumes. Jaron and Jason told the boys to, quote, knock the bitch out, according to Jaron's testimony. Michael obliged, hitting her head against the living room wall with his knee, rendering her unconscious. So Jaron testified that Michael hit her so hard that the impact left a dent in the wall and cracked the plaster. Jason then kicked her, And Jose was just furiously cleaning her blood off his brother's couch and carpet before retreating to his rooms so that the others would not see him crying. After Gwen was knocked unconscious, Michael tied up her wrists and ankles. Then she was wrapped in a comforter to minimize the amount of blood staining on the carpet. The fucking carpet gets so much more concern than a human life in this story, and I cannot stand it. Before being carried off to the garage of the home. So they did all this, and then they carried her out into the garage. Again, nothing good is going to happen. Then one of the boys, we're going to get around to why I cannot say which one later, twisted a rope around Gwen's neck. Michael said it was Jaron. Jaron said it was Michael. The other two said they didn't see it. And after she was strangled, apparently it looks like to death, one of them hit her in the head with a shovel twice. Then the boys were satisfied that Gwen was dead. The boys all turned on each other in court trying to blame the other and escape blame themselves, so I don't think we'll ever know who exactly did what, to be honest. Not that it matters. They're guilty. We do know that Jose was not involved in the final violence as those carpets really needed his attention. 
There's so many acts that happen that they're all... I need a new drink. (laughs) That they're all just okay with. Yeah. Like, generally when you see some of these things, even when you see, like, say, like, an act that violent in a movie where it's just, like, four frat boys and, like, they get a little too far with something, it's usually, like, one is taking it too far and the other three at a certain point are like, oh, God, what is happening? It seems like, especially just their recounting of the story, they're clearly all just blaming each other for things. That it seems like at the end of the day that they were all just Agreed. okay with this. Agreed. They were 100%. just killing a life. Like at a certain point, you have to still look at the person yeah. and be like, that's a living person. Yeah. Absolutely. You should be like, I cannot take life. Yeah. And it took a while. It's not like they killed her super fast. It's not like someone in the heat of no, passion shot that her. That took a long time yeah. to do in different steps. Mm-hmm. Several steps that they were just, and all there was a long period of time okay in between with. them because they had to go get other stuff. Yeah, and they were just okay with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even the initial phases of this, before they even hit her, when they're pinning her down and displaying her genitals, that's a crime. Yeah, that's a crime. You've sexually assaulted someone, and then the one like rapes her in the bathroom. Didn't rape her. That okay. was consensual sex. Was okay. At this point, she was like. Uh, she's already slept with this guy. She didn't really oh, okay, think okay. they were going to be violent with her. Okay. But um, I don't know. An autopsy showed that Gwen died from strangulation associated with blunt force trauma to the head. So those two last injuries are what killed her. According to Jose, Michael said he was not sure she was dead until they struck her with a shovel. Better make sure. <sighs> Even just how they're recounting it. I know. She was then placed in the bed of a pickup truck, and the four men drove her body four hours away, burying her in the Sierra Nevada mountains in a shallow grave in the El Dorado National Forest near Silver Fork Road in El Dorado County. On their way home, they purchased breakfast at McDonald's. Well, get hungry. They went to the drive-thru, got themselves a McMuffin. I know, I had to do it too. This is an infuriating time. Later that morning, during a phone conversation, Nicole asked Jose what happened, to which he replied, quote, let's just say she had a long walk home. Ew. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. This is fucking terrible. I told you we were going to be very mad. There were just people living in this world that are like this. Yeah, this there is are people that shitty all horrible. over. We talk about criminals all the time. Like, all the time. That's what we do. And these people, I, I, I don't, I mean, I do know why, but they fire me up more than most. Mm-hmm. There's just, ugh, ugh. So anyway, none of the party growers reported the crime. Not one. House party full of kids. None of them said shit. They all scattered. I can't believe that. None. Holy shit. Terrified me. Terrified me, me if I was there. And they were there for the beginning of the, they might not have been there when she died, but they were there when they were beating the shit out of her with a soup can. I was at, so years ago, I was at a bar, and I've seen this a couple times, and each time, luckily, I've turned and looked at somebody right. But that was calling the police. But I've been at a bar where I've literally just watched two drunk guys, like, fighting, and then the one, like, this this is, like, so traumatic to me to just watch somebody kick somebody in the head yeah. a bunch of times. Holy shit. And being, like, my background in sports medicine is, like, all about concussions, so, like, everything just terrifies me when it gets hit in the yeah. head. Yeah. And so just watching somebody over and over kick somebody in the head is horrifically terrifying to see in real life. 
And immediately I was like, we got to call the cops no matter what because, like, an ambulance is going to yeah. be needed too. But then luckily so there was, like, a bartender or somebody, like, on top yeah. of it and somebody pulling him off. But, like, at this party, like, nobody was stopping it. Nobody thought to call. Like, Allow nobody- me to remind you, two of those boys are in their early 20s. Right. Which means that not everyone at the party is a kid. And the older brother is older. Right. I don't have a, like, direct age on him, but that means he's older than 22, probably. He should have, that, that, he should have taken responsibility. This is in a house he's renting, too. Didn't call anybody. Just drove away with his fucking cunty girlfriend and left. I hate it. Yeah, so do I. It's awful. Now, Gwen usually checked in with her mother, so when she did not come home the day after the party, her mother called the police on October 5th to report her missing. Police did not initially take the missing person's case seriously, partly because she was transgender and she was known to stay away from home overnight occasionally, especially if they're at a party. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll spend the night if there's, like, a party and there's drinking. Also, missing women always get the shaft. Mm -hmm. No one takes a missing woman seriously. I imagine it's a thousand times worse for trans women. Right. Rumors reached Gwen's family that a girl who had been outed as transgender at a party had been killed and buried in Tahoe. And her aunt called the police on October 9th to pass the story along. So now we have had, like, four days where they just couldn't find her. Oh, my gosh. So from the 5th to the 9th, they just didn't know what where she was or what happened. And then her aunt hears a rumor, and that's how oh, this— I can't. Ew, yeah. ew. Why didn't the police hear that? Why didn't the police hear that? Why weren't they looking? Her aunt hears a rumor, and she calls the police to tell them that rumor. But all these kids at the party, they could have questioned— Nobody said a goddamn thing. And that's who was talking, the kids at the party. They were all, like, whispering about it. Why did it reach her family before it reached the police? I'm so angry at all these children. I know. Like, at some point, Shake even- them. Somebody shake them. <laughs> yeah, shake those kids. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, now I know why you're so mad. Yep. So after the rumor got passed along to the police on October 9th, they began they began at this point to question the partygoers because they didn't do it before. As soon as she was reported missing, you asked the people at that party where the fuck she was. Nobody did that. Yeah. Not until someone not until her aunt called in and was like, "People are saying she's dead. You have to at least ask these kids." Mhm. Huh, so they start to interview the partygoers and one of them Leads the, po- leads the police to the Morell's house. Two days after Gwen was reporting missing, a friend of Jaron Neighbors described him as appearing upset and nervous. <laughs> you poor thing. Jaron had confessed to a friend what the four had done shortly after returning from the gravesite. That friend tipped off the police and agreed to wear a wire during a subsequent conversation with Jaron about the murder. Fuck yes, that friend. Yeah. That friend wasn't even at the party. He was just like, you can't kill someone what so that friend is like the hero remember this for when we toast okay. um authorities then confronted him with the recording so he's like we have you saying you fucking killed somebody and jaron agreed to lead them to the body on october 15th the alameda county sheriff's office dispatched four crime scene investigators and two detectives to recover gwen's body from the grave site the four who were initially arrested and accused of the murder were Michael Medidison, who was 22 at the time, Jaron Neighbors, who was 19, Jose Morel, also 22, and Paul Morel, who was fucking older than that. Now, these are legal adults, like I said, and they didn't once mention, like, a statutory rape situation. Mm-hmm. 
admittedly, one of the men who had sex with her was 22 years old. Okay. And she was 17. Right. I know there are, like, consent laws. I know. There's different, there's different laws, like, mm-hmm. where 17 is sometimes fine. So I don't know what I the case is there. I don't fully know, but I'm just saying, legally speaking, she was a child. Yeah. Paul Morrell was released after Nicole and younger brother Emmanuel told the police that he had left the scene with them. Michael, Jaron, and Jose were charged with murder on October 17th and held without bail. On October 24th, Jaron pleaded not guilty. Michael was still looking for an attorney, and Jose was still reviewing the evidence against him. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, Jose was confident that charges would be dropped. I hate it. So much. After he was arrested, Jaron wrote a letter to a girlfriend in which he stated that the defendants had discussed, quote, a Sopranos type plan to kill the bitch and get rid of her body. You think you're like in the Sopranos now? New Jersey will eat your ass and fucking spit it out. Ah! The letter was intercepted by sheriff's officials and led to the arrest of Jason Cazares on November 19th. Jason had been identified as a potential witness on October 22nd. So now let's move on to the shit show that is their trials. Michael Majidison, Jose Morel, and Jason Cazares all used a version of the gay transgender panic defense to try and get out of facing blame for what they did. Now, before we launch into all of the legal proceedings, Leslie, why don't you tell us a little bit about this horrible bullshit and all of its history? Okay. So, um, the gay trans panic legal defense legitimizes and excuses violent and lethal behavior against members of the LGBTQ plus community. The defense is defined by the LGBT bar as a legal strategy which asks a jury to find that a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity is to blame for the defendant's violent reaction, including murder. No, no thank you. One of the most recognized cases that employed the gay trans panic defense was that of Matthew Shepard Mm -hmm. in 1998. Matthew Shepard, a 21-year-old college student, was beaten to death by two men. The men attempted to use the gay and trans panic defense to excuse their actions. Despite widespread public protest, the defense is still being used today. So that yeah. that had just happened, like, just a couple years ago, which is probably why they were like, well, this just Brent worked. Brandon Tina was the same thing, too. Yep. So anybody who's seen Boys Don't Cry or The Laramie Project, like, that's, yeah, it's in there. So the term gay trans panic is now called LGBTQ plus panic defense to be more inclusive because they were like, let's make sure that we, you know, throw it in there so that we can get everybody. I mean, you have to because they do use it for all these fucking people. So what I'm about to read comes directly from the LGBTbar.org page, which we will link. Yeah, that's going to be linked in our show notes. That's who is telling you how to contact Mm -hmm. legislation stuff. Traditionally, the LGBTQ plus panic defense has been used in three ways to mitigate a case of murder to manslaughter or justified homicide. Oh, I can't. It makes me so mad. So one, defense of insanity or diminished capacity. Yeah. The defendant alleges that a sexual proposition by the victim due to their sexual orientation or gender identity triggered a nervous breakdown in the defendant causing an LGBTQ plus panic. This defense is based on an outdated psychological term, gay panic disorder. 
which was debunked by the American Psychiatric Association and removed from the DSM in 1973. Sadly, while the medical field has evolved with our increasingly just society, the legal field has yet to catch up. Please, I would love to listen to a a punk band of all gay individuals that was called Gay Panic Disorder. (laughs) That would be great. Somebody form that. I'm your fan already. Following. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two, defense of provocation. The defense of provocation allows a defendant to argue that the victim's proposition, sometimes termed a nonviolent sexual advance. Oh, no, no was sufficiently provocative to induce the defendant to kill the victim. Right, so they did nothing violent, and it was, like, fine for you to kill them. Mm -hmm. Cool. Defendants claiming a provocative advance stigmatize behavior which, on its own, is not illegal or harmful, but is only considered provocative when it comes from an LGBTQ individual. (sighs) I know, it's so frustrating. Three, defense of self-defense. Defendants claim they believe that the victim, because of their sexual orientation or gender identity expression, was about to cause the defendant serious bodily harm. This defense is offensive and harmful because it argues that a person's gender or sexual identity makes them more of a threat to safety. In addition, LGBTQ plus panic is often employed to justify violence when the victim's behavior falls short of the serious bodily harm standard or the defendant used a greater amount of force than reasonably necessary to avoid danger, such as using weapons when their attacker was unarmed. (sighs) It's so frustrating. It's awful. So um, they do also include some statistics just to get like an idea of like this community in the United States. Yeah. So in the United States, the estimated adult LGBTQ community makes up 5.6% an estimated 18.4 million people. Hate crimes statistics from the FBI show, however, that LGBTQ plus people are disproportionately targeted. In 2019, there were 1,656 recorded hate crimes against people for their sexual orientation and gender identity. These hate crimes made up a combined 18.8% of motivation in single bias hate crime incidents. And then research shows that one out of five lesbian, gay, and bisexual people living in the U.S. will experience a hate crime in their lifetime, and more than one out of four transgender people will, too. And so you mentioned this number before, but I'll put it in a little different terms. So currently right now, 16 states have currently banned the LGBTQ plus panic defense. So again, that's only 16 out of our 50. That's not enough. And then there are currently 10 more states where the bill to be banned has been introduced but has not yet been passed. So again, that's 16 have banned it, and there's only 10 more so that's now now we're getting up to 26 states. Oh but those 10 are just, they just need to talk about it. God. And a lot of these were only, it was like 2019, 2020, and then a couple in 2021. Like it was only the last couple of years, which is wild to me because it's, it's, it's such yeah. a horrible thing. Yeah. That now they're like, hey, like we need to. Maybe we should stop this. Yeah. And they bring this up a lot because I guess this is also a, uh, this panic defense is also like other minorities too that they use. And so it's very similar for other minorities too. And all of it's just terrible. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like fear-mongering and I hate it. Oh, yeah. 
For sure. Oh, God. Yeah. It all makes me so mad. If you, okay, so if you live in a state where you don't know if the laws have passed or not, it's one Google away. You can easily tell. If you need to, if you need help finding um, petitions in your state, I'm happy to help you. Mm -hmm. And if you need to email your state's government, I will make sure that that link is up wherein it helps you easily find them and who you can send an email to about getting this bill passed in Mm -hmm. your state. And um, I urge anybody who um, lives in a state that hasn't had it passed or doesn't know to look into this. Yeah. Because it's insane that this is allowed in so mm-hmm. many places. And yeah, it's uh, it's tough. And even in states where, say, it might be banned, mm-hmm. um, or where they're like, they're like, oh, so legally they can't necessarily. Some states are like, we can't. We're not going to use that as the defining factor mm-hmm. on on why somebody may or may not be charged. But, but because the defense uses it. Mm-hmm. The jury can be then cha- their minds can change. It's just yeah, a, it's, it's just a tactic. It's an influence. Yeah. Oh my god. And that's the problem. And so a lot of um, a lot of judges try to stop them before once they realize what they're doing, they will try to stop them. And obviously, like prosecution you can't and suck defense. it back in yeah. from the jury. Like you can't make them yeah. unhear. And I'm things. sorry. Like the prosecution would do that, yeah. not the defense. But yeah, it's just so it's so terrible. It really is terrible. It's one of those like, oh, that's like a shitty lawyer just trying you, you to You want to think it is, yeah, yeah. But then like so many of them use it and it works. Yeah. That's the thing. It's it's proved successful. I know. And their job is to win. Yep. At the end of the day, their job is to win. Yeah. That's why you can't be a lawyer. <sighs> I know. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. So first, let me warn you, there are two trials. But Jared Neighbors, who squeals like a little pig, only has one. Hmm. So Jared Neighbors pleaded guilty at the first trial on February 24th, 2003 to a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter, which, like you said, which carried an 11-year prison sentence along with a promise to testify against the other three defendants. During the formal entry of his plea, Judge Kenneth Burr warned Jared that he could still be charged with murder if prosecutors found he wasn't, quote, living up to your end of the bargain. So he sold out. He could have easily been part of this murder. I'm sure he was. But he was giving the court and the other guys, he was giving the other guys to the court on a silver platter, which made it a lot easier for them. So Mm. it was just fine. During the February 2003 indictment proceedings, Jaron gave a detailed account of the murder and burial. As they were burying her, the men continued to yell profanities at Gwen. Jaron testified that he stated he, quote, couldn't believe that someone would ever do that, would be that deceitful. And Jose Morel added, he was so mad he could kick her a couple of more times. They couldn't imagine someone would be so awful as they murdered a person and buried them in the desert. I know these these men are idiots. (sighs) Jaron received an 11-year sentence on August 25th, 2016 with credit for time served He was expected to spend approximately five years in jail from that point forward. He is walking around free as a bird to this day because he talked. He could very well have done way, he he could have been the one that ended up killing her. But since he told on the other ones, he got to be free real quick. Before the first trial, the prosecuting attorney, Alameda County Deputy District Attorney Chris Lamiero, argued that simply being transgender should not have been a death sentence. Lamiero said, quote, 
one can debate the propriety of choosing to identify with a gender other than the one they were born with. I know it's not a choice. This is a quotation. But I trust juries to understand that people don't get to make life or death decisions simply based on someone's lifestyle. That's not a world in which I want to live or most people want to live in. The first trial began on April um, 14, 2004. Prosecuting attorney Lamiera used male pronouns and Gwen's birth name to refer to her, saying the defendant had decided, the defendants had decided, quote, that the wages of Gwen Araujo's sin of deception were death. I'm sorry, these men got to decide that she deserved to die? That doesn't make any sense to me. No, you are not the judge, jury, and executioner anywhere in the world for any reason. They decided that what she did means she deserves to die, so they killed her. What? In what fucking world are we allowed to decide who is deserving of murder and just carry it out? No matter what the cause, you can't do that. I don't give a shit what the reason is. You can't do that. Well, Holly, they were nervous that they were now gay. Like, they weren't before, but now, like, they were made gay now. Mm -hmm. And how are they ever going to continue their lives? They can't. They can't. They can't. They were around a dick one time. Yeah, and now they're gay. Oh, my God. In his opening statement, the defense attorney for Michael argued that he should not be charged with murder, but rather manslaughter at worst. Under California's law, Michael's attorney said that his client was not biased but had been shocked beyond reason to learn that he had unwittingly had sex with a man. And there's your gay panic defense. Mm. During his testimony, Jaron said he felt his friends had been raped. Let that sink in. I feel like, but no. Oh, I know. Because she never did anything. I have a quote for this, too. Let that sink in for a minute. He said that the men had been raped because Gwen, who we referred to as a male, quote, did not come clean with being what he really was. I feel like he forced himself, I feel like he forced them into homosexual sex. And my definition of rape was being forced into sex. No one gives a shit about your definition. Please go fuck yourself. Then when asked how she forced them, neighbors answered, quote, through deception. I cannot. Form words. Fuck you so hard that you choke to death on it. And Rape? Jaron neighbors, not our neighbor boys. No, not our neighbor boys. They would never. They would never. They'd be like, no. I'm so mad. I know. And his name could be pronounced differently, but I don't give a shit. He doesn't deserve his name to be pronounced properly. The first trial ended in a mistrial on June 22nd, following nine days of deliberations when the jurors were unable to reach a unanimous decision for the three men. While the jury agreed that Gwen had been murdered... What they couldn't agree on was whether it was premeditated or not. And that makes a big difference when sentencing. The final votes were 10 to 2 in favor of acquitting Jose and Jason of first-degree murder and 7 to 5 in favor of convicting Michael of first-degree murder. The second trial began on May 31st, 2005, and thankfully this time the LGBTQ plus community came and they did not come to fucking play. Publicity generated by transgender activists, was credited with informing the public about the tactics the defense lawyers had adopted to blame Gwen for her own death, changing the approach to the case. The day after the first trial ended in a mistrial, the court granted Gwen's mother's petitions for a posthumous name change, requiring the defense lawyers to refer to the victim with female pronouns. That is the first time that ever happened. Okay. 
So what happened is Sylvia petitioned the court to legally change her daughter's name and gender. Mm-hmm. And once she is legally a woman and legally her name is Gwen, in a court of law, that's how they have to refer to her. Right, which which is huge because that huge because that does help. It does with the storytelling. It's a big deal. Yeah. So fuck those lawyers. Use her proper pronouns or get her name right out of your mouth. That's insane. Michael Majidison, Jose Morel, and Jason Cazares were charged with first-degree murder with hate crime enhancements. The three defendants testified in this trial and blamed each other as well as Jaren, so they just kept slinging the blame game everywhere. They're a bunch of bitches. Oh, I know. Jaren testified for the prosecution and stated that Michael admitted to strangling Gwen. Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Considering the only other option is that he did it himself. Jose testified that Jaron was responsible for the major head injuries to Gwen. So see, this is the guy that's free. And all the other guys are saying he was had a definite hand in this murder. But he supported the assertion that Michael had strangled her. Michael testified that Jaron admitted that he had strangled Gwen. It's a shit show. During Michael's testimony, a tape of his initial, initial interview with the police was shown in which an investigator was recorded coaching him to use the trans panic defense with the quotation, you'd be surprised. Moms, especially moms, if they knew the facts, you'd be surprised. Wow. No, we fucking wouldn't. Moms, especially moms, don't want to see anybody's child dead. End of story. Yeah. What moms? Oh my God. On September 8th, the jury announced that it had reached verdicts on the two of the on two of the three defendants as Judge Harry Shepard instructed the verdicts were kept a secret. On September 12th, a week after del- deliberation, the jury announced its verdicts. It had deadlocked on Jason Cazares, voting 9 to 3 in favor of convicting him for murder. Michael Majidison and Jose Morel were each convicted on the charge of second-degree murder, but not convicted of the hate crime enhancement allegations, which is I hate that. After the trial, one of the jurors stated in an interview with the San Francisco Chronicle that the murder conviction was because, quote, the community standard is not and cannot be that killing is something a reasonable person would have done that night. No, it isn't. But they were not hate crimes because the murder was believed to have been not committed because she was transgender, but to cover up a situation that had gotten out of control. No, it was because she was transgender and they all said that. Yes. Michael Majidison and Jose Morel were sentenced in January to 15 years to life in prison for second-degree murder. While Jose expressed deep sorrow and regret to Gwen's family, Michael was angry about his verdict and expressed no remorse for his role in murdering Gwen, according to presiding judge Henry Shepard. That changed later. Okay. Later on, they went, I mean, it could have just changed because they wanted the public to view them differently. Mm-hmm. But they did make, I mean, at least I know Michael Majidison, who is still in jail, um, did make statements to say, like, I'm so sorry. What can one do? This is terrible. Well, li- maybe he went to jail and got to meet a lot of different people. Sure hope he did. Yeah. And was like, oh, I killed the person. hmm To avoid a third trial, Jason pleaded no contest to manslaughter on December 16, 2005, and was sentenced to six years in prison. Six years! With credit for time already served. Attorney Gloria Allred represented Gwen's family. Jason then had the audacity to ask to begin serving his sentence after the birth of his third child scheduled for March or April of 2006, which was granted. Hmm. Although 
Lamiero noted, quote, It's difficult for me to entertain a request like that when Gwen Araujo is dead. But you did, didn't you? Ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Gloria Allred was, I love her. I know. That was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Gwen Araujo was laid to rest at a public funeral at St. Edward's Catholic Church in Newark on October 25th, 2002. Catholic surprised me. Mm. Transvision, a comprehensive health and social services program for transgender people in Alameda County, was founded in 2002 and operated by Tri-City Health Center after the murder of Gwen Araujo. I mentioned earlier that at the request of Gwen's mother, Sylvia, a judge posthumously changed Gwen's legal name to Gwen Amber Rose Araujo on June 23, 2004. Amber Rose was the name Sylvia had chosen before her child was born in the event that it was a girl. Oh, oh. And I just got chills. That is what always hits me. Yeah, oh, I know. Holly and I are, are a little crying I right can't. now. She was like, oh, <laughs> she was born a girl, and that's the name she gave her. Oh, my God. In September of 2006, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger signed the Gwen Araujo Justice for Victims Act into law. The law limited the use by criminal defendants of the gay trans panic defense by allowing parties to instruct jurors not to let bias influence their decision, including, by, including bias against the victim based on his or her gender identity or sexual orientation. The law put California on record as declaring it contrary to public policy for defendants to be acquitted or convicted of a lesser included offense on the basis of appeals to societal bias. In September of 2014, Governor Jerry Brown signed the Assembly Bill Number 2501 into law. This law further restricted the use of the gay trans panic defense by amending California's manslaughter statute to prohibit defendants from claiming that they were provoked to murder by discovering a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity. So this went even further, saying, like, that is under no circumstances a reason for murder. This bill was introduced by Assemblywoman Susan A. Bonilla in partnership with Equality California. In announcing the bill's introduction, they cited the murder of Gwen Araujo and the 2008 murder of gay California teenager Larry King. Sylvia Guerrero, Gwen's mother, worked as a legal assistant at a San Jose law firm, but as of 2016 was homeless due to post-traumatic stress disorder from the incident. Sylvia has been unable to go back to work and now goes from relative's house to relative's house, borrowing a car from a friend. We will include a link to her GoFundMe in the show notes should anyone like to send her some aid. We Would Be Dead will be making a donation there as well. And that is it. Wow. Yeah. That one makes me mad and sad and I can't handle it, but it's so important. I don't know what to say. There's not <laughs> a lot left. There really isn't. I mean, I... Like choosing this one because something came from it. Mm -hmm. It was a horrible, senseless act of violence, and she shouldn't be dead. She should be with us. But no one can use that horrible defense in her home state anymore. Like, that, yeah. that took it away. So at least there is, like, some sense, even if it is small, of purpose. Right. And I think that's important. So... Toast. Toast. To that one friend. Fuck yeah, that friend. <laughs> to the friend that wore a wire. Yes. We don't have his name. No, there okay. is. I, he might not want his name out there. And that's fine. That's okay. You did yeah, the right yeah, thing. You don't need to be hunted down. You're the best. We're toasting you. Um, Obviously to Gwen. Yeah. 
None of that should have ever happened to her. What was her full name? Gwen Amber Rose. So pretty. I know. When I read that that's why her mother chose those two middle names, I just had to walk away for a few minutes. Yeah. So cheers to Gwen and Sylvia. Yes. And if you have any spare money lying around, consider giving some of it to Sylvia because she deserves it. And if we tried to shine when the world wanted us to hide, we We would would be be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. New Jersey will eat your ass and fucking spit it out.